All right, well, I, I preached at 8.30, and then I taught a Sunday school class, so my voice is starting to hurt a little bit, but hang in there with me. Um, you can be opening your Bibles to Genesis 45. Let me get my place back. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, as you know, we, uh, uh, Pastor Stephen and I both uh, went to his grandmother-in-law and my mother-in-law's uh, house for her 80th birthday party. We uh, invited family and some of her friends and had a, a, a really... A joyous time together uh, in, in Georgia, and so I appreciate that time away, and I'm very appreciative of Pastor Andy. He had it all on himself this week, and uh, he did a great job, obviously, plus trying to get all this redone in here that we could meet, but I really love being in here. This takes me back. It takes me back to, you know, a, a smaller church, a smaller time where we were closer in together, that big auditorium, we get kind of spread out, the same number of people we're spread everywhere, so I, I'm glad to see you. Um, you can only get so far away from me in here, so I really like that. Um, and we, we came in at 8.30, and sure enough, people were starting in the back and uh, filling it up. So uh, the only way to get your favorite seat in the back is get here way early, I guess. But anyway, I'm, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm so thankful to Brother Bobby Wade uh, preaching last week. Uh, we watched online, and, and he did such a great job. And uh, I'm very grateful for uh, his ministry in our church. He was uh, on the Israel trip, and uh, they said, uh, look up sometimes, like, where is Bobby? And he'd be over talking to somebody about Jesus. And uh, Bobby just loves the Lord, and I appreciated him coming and, and uh, helping us out that way last week. Um, this morning, I'm calling this sermon Life Lesson. I usually have a clock back there and a screen that I can see what y'all are seeing behind me. And I don't have that this week. So if I'm doing this, I'm checking the time. Now, it doesn't mean anything, but at least I know how late I am, okay? Um, but anyway, we're going to talk about life lessons today. And, and, and what I, I want you to understand something about understanding the Bible. When, when we want to apply the Scripture to our life, when we want to understand God's Word, it, it, it's important, if we can, to understand what it meant in its original context. In other words... What in that time frame, in that situation, was God saying? And sometimes we can know that, and sometimes we don't know it fully. Many times just read the chapter before, the chapter after, and, and you'll get the, the immediate scriptural context. But it's also good to know the culture. But here, here's why, why I'm saying that. The Bible has one meaning, okay? Any scripture text has one meaning, but it has a million applications, and so understanding what he was trying to tell us, because number one, it's a different culture, it's a different language, you have to take all that into account to understand what's being said, um, and you can understand that if you have any friend that's not a native English speaker, communication, you got to make sure you clear some things up. I remember my Japanese roommate, and uh, well, housemate, and another guy took him to see a Dirty Harry movie. And in that movie, Dirty Harry said... Go ahead, make my day. And this Japanese fellow yelled, What's he mean, make my day? Only God make day. He can't make day. So, don't take Japanese people to see Dirty Harry. That's one lesson. But anyway, so that context didn't mean anything to him. And so we need to know it so, so we can apply it. And, and, and I'm holding an old Bible in my, in my hand because... I remember the first time a scripture jumped off the page at me. I was, I was a kid. My parents gave me this Bible for Christmas in 1967. Um, the first time I learned how to lead somebody to Christ is outlined in this Bible. Um, but 
I, I became a Christian at age of eight, and the very first scripture that ever jumped out of me says, at, out at me, not out of me, out at me, says this, and it doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, just go ahead and tell you that. And it's the last verse of chapter 13 of Proverbs, and I'm reading out of the King James. I just want you to be impressed that I can do this old language uh, right. The righteous eateth to the, satisf- to, to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. Now, when I was an eight-year-old kid, I thought that meant that if you were bad, you went hungry. But now I understand what he's trying to say is that nothing in this world satisfies and the wicked are seeking stuff here, but their belly is always hungry. But the righteous, we have God and we can be satisfied in him. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm telling you that because today I'm going to take this scripture in Genesis 45. It is simply the story of Joseph sending his brothers back to get their dad and bring him back to Egypt. And I read that and I went, hmm, now what do I do? Because I don't have the privilege of jumping over scriptures. If I'm going to preach through a Bible book, I want you to get everything I can get out of it. And so I started looking at it more and more and more. And what I got out of it is there are some principles there that we can apply to our life. And I call them some life lessons. And and I think we can do that with a lot of scripture that God has for us. And so I'm going to read only three verses out of chapter 45. And those verses, the chapter part that we're in is from verse 16 to 28. I'm going to read verse 16, then verse 24, and then verse 28. And so if you're looking at the scripture, here's what it says in verse 16. Then the report was heard in Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then in in, in verse 24... Then he, meaning Joseph, sent his brothers away, and as they departed, Joseph said to them, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. And the third verse is the last verse in the chapter, and Israel said, Jacob, uh, whose name is Israel, said, it is enough, Joseph, my son, is still alive, I will go and see him before I die. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are just amazed at what you've done for us. There's no human tongue that can explain that fully. We cannot fully comprehend it. You are great beyond measure. We love you. We know you. And we are thankful that we can know the Father God because of what you did for us on the cross. Lord, now open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. Lord, may I not do any violence to the text, but Lord, may we get lessons out of it that would, would help us uh, to live the life you've called us to live here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want you to take home with you is very simple. God has given us life lessons that we can use every day. So I've called these, I, I, I've got three main lessons the, the lesson itself begins with a letter A, just to help you remember them, because the middle one, I got to explain a little bit more to get you there, but the first lesson is a lesson of association. I read verse uh, uh, 16 for that, where the Bible says that it pleased to Pharaoh. If you keep reading, it says, then Pharaoh said, hey, equip your brothers, give them what they need to go back and get your dad and bring them here and we'll take care of them. And he totally meant that. 
Now, here's the deal. There are a lot of people in Egypt, and probably somebody else's family showed up to get food as well. Pharaoh didn't, wasn't happy about that, didn't say anything about that. Why not? It was his association with Joseph that brought attention to that. You following me? Y'all are closer. I can see you now. When you're way out there, it's like, okay, you, yeah, you got to shake your head yes or no. Okay. So, so Pharaoh is generous because of that relationship uh, uh, with Joseph. He doesn't know these brothers. He doesn't know. He's not even met the dad yet, but he knows Joseph. He knows what Joseph has done in, in gratitude. He's like, yeah, bring your family, man. If they're anything like you, we want them all here, which they weren't a lot like him, but still they got to come. But here's what we are learning from this, that we don't get to God on our own merit. It is through Christ. We have an association with Christ, which gets us to God the Father. And you got to understand that, that God is our Father, but only because of what Jesus did can we be adopted into that family. Uh, somebody asked me, because recently I just said something, that we are brothers to Christ. And they said, man, that's, that's quite a statement, you know, you got to really makes you think but that's what the bible says we are adopted children that we are joint heirs with christ that and and furthermore jesus said in, in mark the son of man didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many and then you go beyond that and you read about the marriage supper of the lamb when the bride of christ goes and eats a meal with jesus and it says and jesus himself will serve us Okay, that, that's mind-blowing. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't comprehend even what I'm saying. And what I want you to catch here is that the only way we have that association is because of what Jesus did for us. It's not up to you, it's because of him. Joseph's family was blessed because of his relationship with Pharaoh. Acts 4.12 says this, There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus associates himself with us. We, we couldn't go and say, hey, I, I want to associate myself with you. I, I don't know if you ever ran into somebody who just walked up to you and says, I want to be your friend. And they, that make you kind of back up and go, what's your problem? You know, one of the Marx brothers said, I wouldn't want to be a part of a group that would have me. You know, uh, <laughs> you know just kind of like, whoa, where, where are you coming from? So Jesus came to us. And in John 15 we learn about the vine and the branches. And he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches coming off that vine. And, and we get the, the, the idea, the symbology that, that the, the nutrition coming up out of the soil that the, that the branch needs comes up through that vine and into that branch. And it's, he says, so if you abide in me, abide in me like a branch abides in a vine. But in that context, he said, but my father's the husbandman. Now think about that. The husbandman is the one who comes, the gardener, and trims the vines and trims the branches. Jesus is identifying himself with us more than with the Father in that illustration. That ought to give you some comfort. That Jesus wants to be associated with us. Why? Just because he wants to. That's the only answer to that. And, and guess what? He associates with us even when we don't want to associate with him if we're already a believer. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He says, I put you in the center of my hand. And if you're in the hand of Jesus, you're in the hand of Jesus, you're in the hand of the Father, and you're in the hand of the Holy Spirit. An old preacher said, 
For the devil to get to you through those three, he got to be a saved devil. So every circumstance in your life comes to you by the will of God for your good and God's glory. If, even if it looks bad, God wants to take that and make something good out of it. Isn't that the lesson of Joseph? He was attacked by his brothers, sold into slavery, lied upon, put in prison so that he could be exalted to be the leader of Egypt and save his family from death that we could one day have the Messiah. Amen. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, to me, that is amazing. And that Jesus wants to associate with us. But this, this is the question it begs. Here's the lesson for us, too. Not only should we be thankful and take advantage of that association, but I want to ask the question, so are you associated with Jesus in such a way that you're an effective witness for Jesus to others? A lot of us want to get our fire insurance. Make sure we're not going to hell. You know, did I check off enough boxes so I'm not going to hell? Okay, leave me alone. I'll see you when I get there. That's a lot of people's attitude. That's not the attitude of a believer that's a follower of Jesus Christ. We love him because he first loved us. We want to know him. We want to serve him. We want to be an effective witness for him. In Acts 1.8, the Bible says this. And, and listen carefully to the words of Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in heaven and in all Judea. Uh, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. I didn't pause at the beginning of that verse. Listen to it again. But you will receive power. You will. When the Holy Spirit comes to you. Now, we know he came to on all believers at Pentecost, but he comes individually to every believer after that when we realize that Jesus wants us to be saved and to know him. And then he says, and you might be able to be a witness for me sometime if that happens. No, he says, and you will be my witness. You will be. Now, we better ask ourselves because statistically... I mean, this may be an old statistic. It may be worse or better than it used to be. But some years back, they said 95% of all people who claim Christ don't even ever try to tell anybody else about him. Now, what that says to me is 95% don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, which means they are not saved according to Romans 8. Now, that's statistics, and liars use statistics, and statistics can lie. I know that. You know, 47% of all statistics are made up on the spot anyway, right? <laughs> but still, think about if that's a reality. Are you a witness? That's the question. I'm asking you to ask yourself. I'm not pointing fingers. Am I a witness for Christ? Because it's a little trite saying, but it's true. You might be the only Bible anybody reads. And are you so identified with Christ, you start looking like Christ. You start acting like Christ. You start... Smelling like Christ. You start talking like Christ. So that people are attracted to Christ. And they might know him by association with you. And you know, it fails. If we follow this story out in the first chapter of Exodus in verse 8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And their trouble started. Late 50s after World War II. In the 50s after World War II. The 60s. 
We lived in a moral, more on the surface moral nation. The people knew about God in general. There was very few, you know, less percentage of population that at least hadn't heard about him. We saw great moves of God. We saw evangelism happening. We saw revivals happening. But somewhere in there, we kind of lost all that. And friend, let me just tell you, we live in a dark country now. We thank God for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And no matter all the wailing and crying of those that believe that you can murder, you know, your unborn baby, uh, it really didn't change anything except sent, made it, according to the United States Constitution, sent it back to the state. That's it. So we got a fight in Virginia still. Uh, and yeah, God's people said amen to that. But here's my point. The only thing that's going to change people is a relationship with Christ. And you might be the only person, the contact they have to know that. And so you need to be associated with Christ in such a way that you can bring them to meet your friend who saved you. Well, secondly, there's a lesson of awareness. This is one I have to work on a little bit harder. And it's verse 24 in this chapter. It's where Joseph has gotten wagons. Sapphira said, get them some wagons, man. Don't make them walk all that distance. We can give them. I think he also had some guards. It doesn't say he did, but I believe he sent a few soldiers just to protect them because people are coming to Egypt for food. There's going to be a lot of desperate people. It's probably a dangerous route. So, hey, we'll send some other guys with you to make sure you load them up and get them here. He sends supplies and wagons, and Joseph extra blesses his little baby brother, Benjamin. He's so excited about that. But that last verse in that section caught my attention I talked about it at the men's breakfast a couple weeks ago. Then he, then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Well, that's an odd thing to say. I, how many of y'all have a mother? Okay, good. That is, whew, scare me for a second. Uh, yeah, we all had a mother, and when you learn to drive, what is what she said every time you left a house to drive somewhere, my wife picked up this obligation from my mom, when we got married, when you're leaving the house, what do they always say? Be careful. Be careful. Thank you. Drive carefully. My son, when Janice would say to our son, drive carefully, he'd say, no, today I'm going to drive like a maniac. I've decided. <laughs> Just because it's ludicrous. Of course I'm going to drive carefully. Don't quarrel on the way. What does that mean? The Bible doesn't tell us. I have no clue exactly what Joseph meant, but I got some guesses, okay? So, I, like I said, I'll tell you when it's Bible, I'll tell you when I'm guessing. I'm guessing, but I don't think, I, I think I'll be pretty safe here. First of all, he might have been saying, don't blame each other on the way. Because, you know, y'all going to start, well, you're the one wanting to kill him. Well, you're the one that sold him down the river, you know. And they're going to quarrel about it on the way. Or, they might have been quarreling about Joseph getting revenge on them. Well, I think he's going to get us later. Because they thought that even after Jacob died, in the end of, of Genesis, they go bury their dad and then to Joseph. Hey, dude, don't get us now. Now dad's gone. You know, Now you don't have to worry about it. You're going to get us now. He said, I told you at the beginning. I let that go. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And, and don't worry about it. Here's what I really think it is. Don't argue means, hey guys, you're going back to get dad. You're coming back to the only country in the world that can keep you alive with food. 
It's a kind of a heaven. Let it go. What is there to argue about? You're safe. You're okay. And you got to make this trip together. Now, in case you haven't, as I expect you have, got to the conclusion of that, it's this. Hey, church, you're saved. You're going to heaven, and you're going to live there together with the family. Quit arguing on the way. We've complicated this so much. The church has a simple structure. It's in Scripture. It has a simple job, and the job is... To find people who are not in God's family and bring them into God's family and then help them look like Jesus. That's it. That's the job. We argue over everything else and we never get to the job because we're arguing about who said what, when, where, and how did it happen. You know, we're broadcasting this on Facebook. First service, somebody wrote it in and said, you got a guy in there cheating on his wife. He needs to be there. We don't know who sent it. <laughs> but somebody put that on the live feed, man. Like, so I see somebody sweating. It might be you. I don't know. I just, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I didn't see anybody. I'm just teasing. We, what are you worried about? And, 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 and people worry, you know, they might have been arguing about Joseph getting revenge. Joseph said, I forgave you. It's done. Don't, don't argue about that. Don't worry about that. Jesus has forgiven us. You're past it now. All your sin has been buried in the deepest sea, and he hung a sign, no fishing. The no fishing part I made up, but in the Old Testament it says he takes our sin and puts it in the deep, at the bottom of the deepest sea. And that's pretty deep. We, we were in South Georgia, and I don't know if you know much about going that far south in the summer, 95 degrees, a lot of humidity. And so the chance of an afternoon thunderstorm is almost 100% every day. So the day after y'all had the big storm here, we, we're all getting back to Janice's mom's house. And on, uh, in the back of her house, she's got a screened-in porch. And it's, it's out of the house. Like, there's nothing touching it on the end. And, and my nephew-in-law and... My son-in-law were sitting on the back porch when I got there. And so I went and I sat down at the far end and I started reading a book on my phone. And they were just talking and a thunderstorm rolled in. Well, I grew up in Charleston and I used to sit on the, back, on the front porch with my mom and we'd watch thunderstorms come in. And so we didn't have a screen wire, so when rain got too bad, we had to go in. But, so thunder and lightning just it doesn't bother me that much. And so Janice downed her garage door about halfway to keep the rain from blowing into the garage and it was loud and let me just tell you something if you see lightning start counting by seconds like one one thousand two one thousand it takes seven seconds between seeing lightning and hearing it at a mile seven seconds is a mile away from the lightning the first one that hit was lightning boom i mean loud right on top of us it was Pretty close. So we're sitting on the porch. Then we get a second one. And that one, uh, Stephen and, and Cameron, my nephew, down there, they, they felt it. I'm down at this end. The next one that hit was simultaneous. Right by me. Boom! With the lightning. I, just, I saw a flash, heard it. 
My chest caved. All the hair on my head stood up. Every hair I had. Stephen and Cameron said, we're going in. <laughs> and I just sat there reading. They said, are you coming? I said, it missed. <laughs> it affected me, but it missed. <laughs> Don't quarrel. It's, you're, you're safe. I mean, God said in Psalm 139, the day I am going to die is already written down. I can't live longer than that. I can't die before that. So I'm just not worried about lightning. It's not going. If that's how I'm going out, I hope it's not lightning. <laughs> but if it is, okay, here we go. Listen, if there's not unity and love in the church, the world will never know Jesus. They will never know Jesus. There's nothing worth dividing over except the truth. And if it's not the truth of the word of God, it's not worth dividing over. Here's what Jesus said in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples when you love one another. He didn't say they'll know you by the purity of your doctrine. He didn't say they'll know you about what church you go to. Won't know you by what you wore to church. Won't, won't know you by the songs you sing. They will know you if you love your brother that you belong to him. And when you don't do that, you're not living the commands of Christ. Period. You've got to be aware you're going to heaven. And there's no need to fight your brothers and sisters. We're all going to the same place. Let's just figure it out now and get over it. The third lesson is a lesson of acceptance. When the boys get back, and I, I need to read that whole section. I, I, I just read the last verse, but look at verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, Jacob said, Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive, and I will go and see him before I die. Here, here's what we are seeing there. They come in, and, you know, again, picture yourself, locate yourself. It, it's been 25 or more years now that he's believed Joseph is dead. I noticed the brothers didn't fess up and say, uh, Dad, we actually sold him down the river. And somehow he got through all that. Now he's the ruler of Egypt. Can you imagine? No, they just said, Joseph's alive. He's the ruler of Egypt. And his heart goes numb, man. Dude about had a heart attack. I mean, 25 years he has grieved the loss of this boy. And about has a heart attack. And guess what? He didn't believe what they said. Why? Because they're a bunch of liars. And he knew they were liars. They didn't do their job right. That's why I had to send Joseph Spions. Why I got sold into slavery to start with. They, he didn't want to believe them. But the evidence changed his mind. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 to 20. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I... It was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 
You remember the woman at the well? Jesus talked to her. She believes he's the Messiah. She runs back into town. She'd had five husbands living with a dude that's not her husband. She runs back into town and tells the men of the city, it says, I've met a man who's told me everything I ever did. And they did start sweating. You, you remember the squirrel revival in that sleepy little town called Pascagoula? Anybody? And the one lady, the squirrel started doing laps around her and she got up and confessed all her sins and the songwriter said, and then she started naming names. The Bible says those men came out to see him and they believed because of Jesus, not just the testimony of the woman. You see, our job is to get people to the facts of who Christ is and what he's done. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is God, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a vicarious death and he rose from the dead. There is more evidence of every sort, legal, logical, archaeological, all of that, more evidence that that is true than any other fact in history. It's unbelievable the evidence. And I noticed that Jacob didn't believe the boys, but he believed the evidence. He saw the wagons. He heard Joseph said that. That sounds like what Joseph would say. Okay, I believe you. Je Joseph, my son, is alive, and I'm going to go see him. He was ready to go. Jacob accepted that evidence to go to, to, go to Joseph. I've become aware of something that this, just a few days ago, really. And, and uh, I'm going to read more about this. But I was talking about understanding the Bible in context. And there's a passage in the New Testament. And it's when John is arrested and he sends word back to Jesus. Let me read it. Luke 7, 20 to 23 says, And when, they, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent uh, us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of disease and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now, I always understood that, that John was in prison and he started to doubt. He is not doubting at all. Don't think, John and Jesus are cousins. Both had miraculous births. Their moms are getting together probably their whole life, at least once a year. They are aware of who they are and what God's called them to do. And I personally believe that the Bible only doesn't really give us any evidence or, or facts about it. I am firmly convinced John and Jesus had a lot of conversations before John started his ministry and Jesus started six months later because they knew that would be the timing. At, at 30 years old, they start. John, however, though he has known Jesus all his life and all of that, he is such a believer, he believes the Messiah is coming to deliver Israel from political oppression. Just like the disciples standing on the Mount of Olives just before Jesus goes up says, so now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he goes, you still don't get it. Wait, wait a few days, 10 days, and you'll, you'll figure it out. The Holy Spirit's going to come and make sure you get it. That's not for me to know. That's knowledge of the Father. You just do your job. So John didn't understand Jesus wasn't going to re restore the kingdom. He's been preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus hasn't 
raised an army yet. And John's in prison and he's about to go out and he's like, dude, are you going to get with the program or what? And if you notice, if you were listening to the text, Jesus doesn't answer him. It says he started healing sick, giving sight to the blind, casting out demons. And he turns around and says, go tell John, I've done the work, I'm doing the work of the Messiah. You see, that's the initial work. There's coming a day still when Jesus is going to come over the ramparts of heaven riding a white horse and all of us will be in the army behind him. Riding our own horses. Coming back to set up that earthly kingdom. That day's in the future. Right now, we are recruiting the citizens of that kingdom by leading them to the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? So we need to accept the evidence, believe Christ, and preach Jesus because belief and acceptance always leads to action. See, if we accept who Jesus is, we ought to humble ourselves and go to him. Jesus has provided the evidence that he's the one in charge. But have you come to him and are you bringing others to follow him? That's the job for now. If we accept the evidence, then we better get busy. We better start doing what he said and not just staying inside our comfortable bushel basket hiding our light. We got to get out in the street and compel people to come to him. We've got to go out and tell people about Christ. I usually give you three things that you might could do this week, but instead I wrote it all in kind of a paragraph and I just want to read that to you. You'll catch the three big things in here. If we are one with the Father, as Jesus is, and Jesus said in John 17, 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That is the prayer of Jesus for you and me, the ones who will believe according to their testimony, he also says in that same prayer. So, if we are one with the Father and are aware of our association with one another, and our mutual journey to heaven, and we realize, we can realize our acceptance by Jesus, and we can accept his grace to go and bring others to him. So what I'm telling you is, be associated with Jesus. Be aware that there are people that need to know him. And then show them the evidence. Talk much about Christ. What would Calvary look like if we did that? I mean, you'd never have to have another business meeting. There are no rules for business meetings for the church in the Bible. Why? They were too busy learning what, about Jesus and telling people about him. They were so busy doing that, and they had their problems. They had to deal with them. I get it. I know that. That's in there. But what I'm saying is we focus on the wrong things so much. It's just a human tendency we have. And we've got to step back and realize we're on a trip together to heaven. We accept the evidence. Our association with Christ lets us know the Father. And we've got to let other people, you too, can know the Father and bring them to him. Let's pray. God. In Jesus' name, we love you, we thank you.